Was bar a bust? Hey, Aunt Becky, call us. And for the love of God, tell your story when given the chance. All this and more on this week's Three Season a Pod. Three Season a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann. And with me on the show, as always, Chris Cervello and John Schofield. We thank you for joining us this week. For more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or you can check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. Let's begin our show today with a look back in the rearview mirror. First up, Attorney General Barr testified this week. We want to get our thoughts, go around the table and see how that went, where things are headed. John, I want to start with you. Uh, What did you think of that testimony? I thought it was pretty shameful. Um, It's it's representative of where the narrative is going now between the administration and Congress uh, in this particular case, a Senate hearing. Um, and, and I'll tell you right now, as the representative way-leaning, outspoken, left-wing person, that I was really disappointed in the Democrats during this hearing, uh, all of them other than Kamala Harris, and I'll, and I'll explain to you why. Uh, and this will sound a little bit like plagiarism from the Pod Save America guys, but I, I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe in it and agree with it so much, that they had a very great chance to just ask tough questions and be no nonsense. And so many of those guys led off their five minutes with these long self-aggrandizing soliloquies about the, the state of our nation and the dysfunction in the executive branch and, and blah, blah, blah. Just get to the point and ask the questions because there were very real issues with Barr's involvement in this Mueller report in his four-page summary, which by all accounts looks like a very unrepresentative summary of the facts. And, and then he goes up there and, and was basically obfuscating wherever he had the chance to. So with that, I'll also say that I was very impressed with Kamala Harris. Um, I, I don't like the discourse now where there's this penchant for, for senators and congressmen during Q&A to cut off witnesses and, and be extremely rude. Um, and Kamala Harris is almost there. She was really close to just being annoying, but mm-hmm. she wanted answers and, and she was asking the right questions. She didn't, she dispensed with all the bullshit at the beginning and, and like a prosecutor went right into the Q&A. And, and I think if I'm the American people, I'm very unsettled by the lack of A to the queue. And if I'm Democrats and Republicans for the sake of our Republic, start asking better cues and stay on the ball and don't let this drop. Well said. Chris? I like John um, was left wanting um, on both sides. Uh, although I'll, I'll, um, I'll pick it bar a, a little bit. In addition to, I, I think, uh, just not carrying out the duties of the office, I think the way we've become accustomed to. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he did the narrative of President Trump any good. Um, I I think that if the goal is to move beyond this, he didn't do a very good job of it. And um, he became fodder for all of the TV talk shows, uh, cable and uh, and nightly alike. And uh, I I just would have liked to have seen a, a more earnest 
um, professional approach to, to answering the questions. And, and I think he could have, I think he could have done that. Right. I mean, I, I don't think he had to be as flippant and as off putting as he was. And I think as a result, um, what could have been potentially handled uh, in that Senate hearing room and, and, and had he decided to go to the house hearing room the following day before being pulled, I think he could have done um, the president more of a service, um, which was clearly his intent, right? Um, so if that was his intent and he didn't hide it, I, I think he did a very poor job of it. I wonder um, who Barr learned that style from. Hmm, let me think. Right. Uh, you, both make, boss. You, you both make great points. Uh, the only thing I'll do to, as we wrap up uh, this particular point here, um, I continue to be somewhat... Um, Fearful. I, I continue to be uh, have a growing fear, a growing concern uh, as we move further and further away from uh, a collective America uh, where we have uh, both sides dug in uh, and seemingly just unmoved or unwilling uh, to say what is for the good of the people writ large. Uh, and, and so the more this uh, we move down the track. Uh, on the uh, the bending and the stretching of our constitutional norms, uh, I continue to grow concerned about uh, what is going to be the straw uh, that breaks America's back uh, as this continues. So it's it's a divided America, and and who's going to help reunite it? On that note, for a segue, uh, yes, what's our yes, next topic? Yes, segue. Uh, so uh, Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden has been in the race now for a little over a week and a half. Uh, jumping into the uh, into the growing, ever-growing Democratic field. I do believe uh, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio has said that he's going to even make a decision uh, here uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. However, sticking with Uncle Joe uh, in, in the past couple of weeks that, that he's been in here, has he changed the game? Uh, have you seen a difference with Joe Biden uh, being added into the race? Chris, I'll start with you. I think he sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the room from many of the, I guess I would say tier two and tier three candidates. Mm -hmm. uh, no surprise. I mean, we talked a little bit about this uh, when we talked prior to him getting in the race. And then when we talked last week um, about his announcement, um, I think it makes it really, really hard if you're candidate, you know, seven through 21, those polling seven through 21, I think it makes it almost impossible um, for you to see any path to the nomination, barring a huge hiccup over the next uh, 12 to 14 months. Right. Now, uh, you, you guys could save this clip and play it back to me if something completely different happens. But I, I think he is just taking it to a different level in terms of the types of things that he wants to discuss. And it'll be interesting to see how the other candidates counterpunch uh, his approach. Um, we passed around an article, Mayor Pete uh, doing Vogue, I think was the um, the magazine. Um, others doing other sort of personality profiles. I don't think that's the way you beat Joe Biden. I know that's not the way you beat Donald Trump. So it'll be interesting to see how those other 20 candidates counterpunch and what they do to distinguish themselves. Right. John? Agreed. Um... I think Mayor Pete and, and his husband, Chastin Buttigieg, were on the cover of Time magazine this week. And, and that's a ballsy move. Um, and, and I know that, that, as Chris said, that's not necessarily the way you beat Donald Trump. 
Um, but it stands as a very interesting contrast to Joe Biden. So as we whittle this down from 21 uh, to one, how do these candidates find opportunities to communicate provocatively and make their particular shtick stand out? I think Mayor Pete has it. Uh, he's, he's got the military service. He's got the Oxford education, the roads. Um, he, he is a very energetic and smart dude, and, and people seem to be gravitating to him, obviously, on the left. Uh, and then you're going to have more mainstream people gravitating to Biden. And what that does is it creates kind of this young, rebellious faction and then the older institutional faction, which will be Biden and Bernie and maybe Elizabeth Warren sneaks through there. I just don't think she's raising enough money. And then on that younger, more rebellious come out of the woodwork um, or come out of nowhere uh, side, you've got probably Mayor Pete. I'm really impressed with Seth Moulton. For us as communicators, that's what they really need to be grappling with is in, in this very crowded field of 21, how are they going to find their niche to make their message stand out? How are they going to work hard? How are they going to navigate these summer months when Americans probably care more about graduations here in the next month, going to the beach and everything like that? How do they maintain attention and then really put the foot on the gas for the last year. Uh, I'm interested, but I, I really think that it's going to come down to Biden, Sanders, Buttigieg, and probably someone like Kamala Harris. That's that's if we're going to play March Madness again. That's my final four. Right, uh, roughly 250 days before Iowa caucus time, so uh, a lot can happen between now and then. Could be anybody's ball game. Um, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see who gets to sit down and in Harlem at Sylvia's Soul Food Restaurant. And uh, <laughs> it's all a game for me um, when you start, <laughs> you know, you start pandering for votes that way. But what are you going to do? Listen, moving on. May is Women's Health, uh, Women's Health Month. There's also uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And, and to that end, John, I know you had a point that you wanted to uh, share with the folks. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel very strongly about this. The three of us um, being service members have led sailors, have had friends, um, and, and led people who have, who have suffered from mental health issues, particularly in the military, obviously. And, and we take it very personally. I, I have had sailors under my leadership uh, who have suffered from mental health and even committed suicide. And, and, it's, and it's a very serious issue. Um, we put up a blog this week. Uh, if you go to provisionadvisors.net, uh, click on the blog section, you should see it up there. But it's it's just a commentary on the mental health issue, uh, particularly in the military. This past week on Tuesday, actually, uh, there was a hearing up on the, uh, up on the Hill uh, in front of the House Subcommittee on Health. And a lot of the VSOs, veteran support organizations, came up there to testify about the need for more research for medicinal marijuana uh, as a potential treatment for veterans who are suffering from mental health issues. Uh, not just mental health issues, but physical issues like traumatic brain injury. Uh, chronic pain, uh, but then issues like insomnia and anger. I'm not going to necessarily take, well, no, I'm going to take a side. Uh, my side is on imploring the VA and imploring this country to continue to do research into medicinal marijuana as a possible treatment for not only our veterans, but for everyone. So I, I would encourage everyone to read the blog. John, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll deep dive. You're listening to Three Season a Pod. 
Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. We're back on Three Season a Pod, and it's time to deep dive. Folks, there have been some stories out this week that lovable Aunt Becky, a.k.a. Lori Laughlin, and her husband, Massimo Giannoli, are shopping around for comms help to improve her image and protect what's left of her brand. For the sake of this pod, let's imagine we get that call and ask yourself, what would be the advice you would give Lori Laughlin and her husband? Uh, Chris, let's start with you. So the first thing I would tell her is go to episode 15, The Secret to Writing a Second Act, and uh, listen to the deep dive segment that we did two weeks ago. Uh, thus far, um, Lori Laughlin and her husband have, they haven't done anything uh, in terms of saving their brand, they haven't done anything to hurt themselves, um, you know, to make things worse, but I don't think they've done anything to make it better. Right. And, uh, if you look at that rubric that we talked about, uh, two, two weeks ago, this idea of recognizing the problem, making real changes that fix the problem, demonstrate those changes and then show results. I think that same rubric works here. I think there has to be some sort of public recognition on the part of Lori Laughlin and her husband um, that what they did was wrong. Um, I think that uh, explaining why they did it, who would argue with um, the idea of doing anything for your kids, even if it does border on the immoral or illegal. But I think she has to look into a TV camera and, um, and really explain why she did what she did apologize to the institutions, apologize to, to those students who were affected by the actions, you know, who didn't get in because her kids uh, got in. Uh, I think she needs to come up with some sort of um, way in her mind to fix the problem, uh, whether it's to make a donation, whether it's to help uh, shine the light on, uh, on other places where this may have occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she needs to then demonstrate the sincerity um, of wanting to make this right. Uh, and then I think she needs to be a voice in, uh, in, in how to prevent this from happening again. Um, and, and so I think if she was to do any of that, really, the, and it starts with making a public apology and owning up to it, um, I think that would be a huge step in the right direction. I give her a lot of credit for not you know, doing the perp walk with a jacket over her face or, you know, darkened SUV windows. I mean, she's tried to put herself out there. She's tried to acknowledge that the media is there. I mean, I think that there are some instinctual pluses to what she has done, but I I think she needs to take it a step further, especially when you contrast this to Felicity Huffman, who essentially pled guilty right away and is cooperating as a way of making this uh, go away. So, um, if the phone rang for us, I would encourage her to look through those four things as a way of uh, improving your brand now and getting on the path uh, to a long-term brand restoration. John, how would you weigh in? My, my second issue is this. Think back to almost every single day on my aircraft carrier or at the Naval Academy where I would advise the boss about something and I would be talking very much like Chris, probably with less eloquence, but advising, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this. 
and every step of the way having the lawyer or the JAG say no and no and no. Um, so it, this is a lesson for people out there looking for crisis communications help that that your legal advice and your crisis communications advice needs to be joined at the hip and that people need to be in agreement and it needs to follow through in accordance with what the legal process is. I think that Lori Laughlin's uh, lawyer right now is probably saying, well, you can't come out there and do the 2020 interview with, or get out there with Anderson Cooper and show contrition because it'll essentially you know, make you look guilty and I'm still trying to get you out of this in a courtroom which then leads us to say, how much do PAOs or communicators uh, weigh in on legal decisions like, hey, you should plead guilty and go the Felicity Huffman route because it has a better communications outcome for you or a better PR outcome for you. So that, that's the lesson here is that it, it needs to be completely wedded with what the legal advice is. Communicators shouldn't be afraid of pushing back on the lawyers. Uh, lawyers often will act like, my word is law, this is the way it has to be, there is no gray area. I've found that sometimes there is. Um, so it, it's, it's a really important thing for them, and back to Lori Laughlin specifically on the tactical level now, to differentiate herself from Jesse Smollett. You know, so the, the, the most recent thing in people's memories about celebrity jurisprudence is Jesse Smollett basically getting away with stuff and and being sent on his way, no big deal. Um, and now there's a possibility that Lori Laughlin kind of gets the shrapnel from that. Well, Jesse Smollett got away with it. We're going to make sure Lori Laughlin doesn't. So even more of the onus on her to come out when she does communicate, and I hope she communicates soon, I hope it's in accordance with what her lawyer thinks is okay, and communicate with empathy and sincerity and truth and to look that reporter in the eye or that interviewer in the eye or the camera and, and actually be sorry. Um, because in this day and age, you see very little true emotion out there. There are a lot of crocodile tears. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm waiting for people to be more like Mayor Pete Buttigieg and just answer the effing question. And if you have to be sorry, then be sorry and move on and let the American public forgive you. I seem to remember us talking about that recently. Let me, uh, great points, I'm sorry. Uh, great points made by both of you. Uh, let me offer, uh, as, as, uh, as the third part of the team here, let me offer just a, a slightly different angle. We each have children. Do you guys remember at, at pick a point uh, when, uh, when your child was about to be born we're right before you're about to be born. And the doctor saying to you, hey, son, what got you into this mess will get you out. And we know exactly what that means. So if the spending of money is what got Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin in this situation to begin with, then money's going to get them almost out. And what I mean by that is from a genuine standpoint, yes, they answer the question straight up. Hey, look, I did this, I did it for, for, to further along my, my child's education, and it was wrong. I didn't play by the rules. We made up the rules as we went. But you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up a scholarship fund, and I'm going to get people who deserve to be in USC or in whatever school 
the opportunity to get there because I might have taken away that chance yesterday, but tomorrow I can try and get back to even. You know, one of the examples and one of the stories that came out mentioned Martha Stewart and how she rehabbed her uh, empire after serving time uh, for, uh, for her uh, stock secret um, crime. And basically what Martha Stewart had was the ability to be Martha Stewart. Somebody like a Lori Laughlin, who's, you know, her, her, her brand is, is, you know, her, her on-screen acting. Well, now you're going to have to be a little bit more creative with how you do that. You know, Martha Stewart appealed to, and granted it was a, a different time. It wasn't 2019, but when she stood side by side with somebody by the name of Snoop Dogg and they're, and they're baking brownies, well, it changed everything for her. So take a little bit of a different tack, set up a scholarship fund. You're going to have to come out of your pocket, all right, and start sending kids to school and do it with earnest, not just the, oh, look what I'm doing, this one-off here. It's gonna, it might be a little painful in the beginning, but trust me, I, that, uh, that full house Full house money goes a long way. Stay with us, folks. We're going to take a break and come right back with On the Horizon. You're listening to Three Season a Pot. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to Three C's in a Pod with Provision Advisors. Well, let's look out on the horizon and what the next week may bring. Chris, we're going to start with you. So mine has to do with um, the United States Navy, um, particularly um, their participation in this year's Navy League Sea Airspace Conference, which begins this week at National Harbor here in the D.C. metro area. Typically, this has been a great opportunity for the Navy and the defense industry uh, to tell their story provided uh, that they take it. Um, and in years past, um, many years past, um, they really have used this event to tell the American public, uh, those not familiar with the Navy and with sea power, to talk. they've really taken that opportunity to talk about the importance of sea power to national security, the cost of sea power in dollars and, uh, and in people, and the need to understand the cost of letting uh, what would happen if our sea power diminished. Most recently, they have really uh, turned their messaging and their um, storytelling. Uh, it has gone from clear and concise and compelling to that of tapioca. I mean, no clear message. Uh, many leaders give the same old pitch. Uh, the goal has become to stay out of the news, uh, not to make any news. And um, as the Navy does that more and more, so does industry. So my hope is, is that with this being the, the last year of Admiral John Richardson's uh, time as CNO, um, if you look at the schedule, he is going to be over there a lot more uh, over the three days. So my hope is, is that he takes the opportunity to lay down a foundation um, and that others follow uh, and build on that foundation to be able to tell a real compelling sea power story and to take full advantage uh, of the the opportunity that these three days provide the Navy and that defense industry. Excellent. Chris, thank you. John, how about you? What's on the horizon? In line with what Chris was saying with the last year of, of John Richardson, um, in fact, right before John Richardson turns over 
Uh, Admiral Ted Carter will be turning over to Admiral Sean Buck as the superintendent of the U.S. Naval Academy. So really interesting appointment here and, and the end of, of what I'll call an era um, at the Villanova of the South, as I call it down here on the banks of the Southern. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ted Carter, uh, my former boss, current superintendent, finishing up his fifth year as a superintendent at the Naval Academy, which is the longest tenure ever uh, in the history of the school, of the institution. And he did an awful lot to push this institution further and make it relevant and keep it accredited and make it in that top five schools whenever U.S. News and World Report come, comes out with your best schools for liberal arts, for public institutions. It is a fantastic place. And Ted Carter really protected the brand and, and I will say communicated so very well. It was easy being his communicator. It was easy helping him to shape the message about why the Naval Academy is important and why the men and women who graduate from the Naval Academy are, are people of, of character and consequence. Sean Buck, uh, I'll tell you, Chris, Chris and I remember him when he was just a, an EA who was fetching binders for one Admiral Joe Sestak and, and probably hating his life a lot. And I, I think that that's a tough thing for him to come in and fill such huge shoes. I'm interested to see how they continue to shape the message going forward and advocate for the Naval Academy as, as one of the good things that we have in this country in terms of institutions. It's a great place. And Sean Buck is, in my opinion, walking into the best job in the Navy. Excellent. We look forward to uh, many Army-Navy games and other events uh, out there. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, folks, uh, May is, is, of course, Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, also of note, May is Women's Health Month. Uh, more specifically, May 12th through the 18th is National Women's Health Week. Uh, national Women's Health Week is a national effort by an alliance of government organizations to raise awareness about manageable steps women can take to improve their health. The focus is on the importance of incorporating simple, preventative, and positive health behaviors into everyday life. Um, we want to highlight this, of course, because uh, we have uh, tremendous women in our lives, in and out of our lives, and uh, we want to make sure that the spotlight is, uh, is shown upon them uh, to, uh, to have the best health possible um, and, and, and keep, them, uh, keep them around and in our lives. So definitely want to highlight uh, not only Women's Health Month, but actually, actually National Women's Health Week. Also, as I've been uh, pointing out, for those of you keeping score at home, Jeopardy James has accrued 22 straight wins, settling in at nearly $1.7 million that he's taking home, uh, but he's still in it. He's going to take a little bit of a break due to Jeopardy's teacher's tournament that's going to occur over the next two weeks. He will be back on the scene May 20th, uh, chasing the record uh, set by Ken Jennings uh, some years back of, of $2.5 million. Uh, it seems that uh, Jeopardy James is, is well on his way, so... Uh, I continue to be glued to the television at 7.30 uh, to ABC watching Jeopardy. When does Wheel of Fortune come on? Before I, or after I, Jeopardy? I, it comes on before. I, oh, and boy. I, oh, geez. <laughs> I digress. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here on Three Season a Pod. We always welcome your feedback, so please leave a comment below. We love to read uh, the input and what your thoughts are. Uh, and we incorporate some of that uh, criticism and, and, and feedback into our show. So don't be afraid to, uh, to tell us what you think. Folks, until next week, as we always say, be good, be safe, and be better. And may the fourth be with you. Hello. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.